Hello, and welcome back to Nick's Movie Corner. Um, this is both uh, the first one back and also going to be the last one for a while. Um, you know, as, as probably most of you listening to this know, I'm actually in law school. Um, and so uh, this was doing these commentaries was something I did, you know, to help pass the time during uh, quarantine and whatnot. Um, but unfortunately, uh, law school sort of has started back up, and my time to, to do these and do these right has been severely cut down. So um, this is going to be the last one that I'm sort of going to put the, the, pe- the Patreon on hold um, after August. Um, so anyway, you know, you feel free to message me separately or something like that. All the episodes will stay up, obviously, if there's anything like that, but I totally understand if after August you want to cancel your subscription or whatever. Um, however, like I will be pausing obviously after August any charges and stuff like that. And then, you know, if I end up hopefully being able to, to do these, you know, just on a more sporadic basis, I'll figure out, um, you know, how to do that. But anyway, that's a lot of preamble. Um, I'd also be remiss if I didn't say rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman, who passed away from colon cancer um, last night uh, as of this recording. Colon cancer is what killed my father, um, so I'm, I'm very sensitive and, uh, you know, deeply um, feel deeply sad for, for Chadwick and his family. It's a horrible loss. It's a horrible disease. And, um, you know, I can only hope that uh, someday we can find a, a cure. So, um, so anyway, um, you know, I figured since this is going to be the last one for a while, I would do the Sopranos season finale. Um, I had considered doing the series finale. However, again, as I said, because my hope is that I will, you know, find other time to, to, to do more commentaries just on a more sporadic basis. So, um, we're going to do today commentary for, um, the uh, the Sopranos season one finale. So this is marking sort of the end of a chapter, but it's not the complete end. So um, without further ado, let's let's fire the episode up. Um, for those of you at home, um, you know I'm watching this on HBO, uh, obviously um, on on demand. Um, but uh, but you may be watching it on uh, on Amazon or whatnot. So. Um, you know, so to help uh, cue this up, uh, I will let you know sort of when uh, when um, all right, here we go. So um, when the when the HBO pops up, so I'm now like a minute in, so skipped all the preview stuff, and and uh, we're now the the opening in in the in the in the tunnel to uh, to Jersey. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, there's the two towers, too. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, I figured this would be a, a good episode to do, um, for, uh, for a number of reasons. One, I think it's, like, a phenomenal, uh, piece of television. I think, um, The Sopranos pilot is about as good of a pilot, um, as one can have, and, and I also think that this, uh, this finale is one of the best season finales I've ever seen. Um, 
Oh, Frank Pellegrino. I always forget that Frank Pellegrino makes it in the credits in this first season because Frank Pellegrino is obviously um, the owner. He's now deceased, but he owns uh, Reyes, the famous Italian eatery and mob hangout up in Harlem. And, of course, he also plays uh, the famous role of Johnny Dio in Goodfellas, who Johnny Dio is the man uh, who is grilling steaks in prison in Goodfellas. And so that's sort of what Frank Pellegrino is known for. But, of course... um, in the Sopranos, what's very funny is uh, is he is sort of the head uh, FBI agent, um, which is which is great because his whole life he's sort of been associated with uh, with mobsters and stuff like that, and 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 that's what his most famous role before the Sopranos was, and so it's great that he then uh, you know was the FBI agent in this. And, and and this scene, too, this opening scene here, this sit-down with, with Junior and, and everyone, like, this is why I love the first season so much and the earlier seasons of The Sopranos, just as someone who likes seeing, you know, the mob accurately portrayed. Um, this is what the show loses when Tony becomes boss and obviously Junior ends up on house arrest and stuff like that. It's like, this is... This is great because Tony is still, you know, just a capo. So this is very sort of ground level stuff. And I also, too, I'm, I mean, Dominic Cianci, who plays Uncle Junior, is like a phenomenal actor. And, and all of, um, you know, Junior's sort of arc is one of the most tragic in the entire show, uh, I think, as he sort of becomes trapped, you know, literally on house arrest, but then trapped within his own mind as he loses his mind and so i i love um you know i love just the taste of junior we got at the at the height of his power um and then of course i don't know if you read the uh you know read sort of the episode description of this before clicking play but one of the things is a a number of rats get uh get sorted out and uh and uh, the, uh, again, too, it's funny, this, this episode is why it's such a great episode um, is because, you know, one of sort of the big complaints in a weird way on The Sopranos was is that no mob stuff really happens, right? And that was obviously the point, but you do sort of have the classic, uh, you know, a lot of guys getting taken out in this episode, starting, starting here with this fat fuck. And I, I I apologize to Jimmy. It's like I've watched this show so many times. I I still don't know this guy's name, but he's such a great like Jersey scumbag in his in his tracksuit. Hysterical line too. Just big, big tits, little feet. A hit in any man's league. What a line! Oh, and down goes Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, and I love how they just torment the guy too. Yeah, and and I mean the show is so interesting too, and that's what makes the Sopranos Sopranos is it gets much more existential and so much more focused on um, Tony's sort of headspace and and um, 
you know, it really does move away from, like, the mob stuff uh, aspect of it. And so, in a weird way, it is interesting if you've seen the whole series and, and you're re-watching or, or just like me just popping on this episode. And in a weird way, it feels like a totally different show to actually see sort of Silvio and Christopher, you know, committing a hit. Also, the, the beginning of Sopranos is great, too, because this first season, right, because everybody's under the same roof. And they ended up, um, you know, the Sopranos is the most skilled writer's room uh, in the world. Shout out AJ, who was jacking off. Um, and so they figured out ways to sort of keep everyone around. But it becomes one of those sort of classic TV situations where actors age and time pass, and you got to figure out how to keep the kids involved. But, you know, in this first season, AJ's a kid and, um, you know, Meadow's still in high school. So the, the dynamic is much more natural. And, and it's great, too, that they're all just around. And the great Nancy Marchand, of course, who passes away, but um, was truly a absolute powerhouse and tour de force. Um, and especially in her time on this show. And uh, and it's funny too, in a way, like this is almost um, this is something that the that the show comes back to, right? When when Junior himself loses his mind, and then the cops sort of try to try to find him and bring him home. Um, I always sort of forget that that he, in a way, perhaps learned this move from Livia. Wow. Tony, unbelievable fit in this meeting with Melfi. Oh my goodness. It's like a beautiful jacket he's got on. My, my man looks like Steve McQueen. And of course, too, the whole conceit of this first season, right, and it's literally on the DVD box, is one family doesn't kill him, the other one will. And, you know, that's what the, the great dovetailing of this episode is Tony realizing, or coming to realize, that his, his mother, of all people, was who was more or less behind um, the attempt on his life, and just how psychotic that is, and what that would do to a son mentally, to find that out, um, sort of what ends up propelling the whole rest of the series, but uh, but again, it's sort of it's 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 the the beauty of of this first season is Tony's just sort of understanding this. Also, I can never get over how weirdly young James Gandolfini looks, and and of course that's just because, um. You know, he really, for a whole variety of factors, you know, let himself go. But 
it's just weird to say for a clearly middle-aged man, balding man, uh, out-of-shape guy, that I'm like, man, he looks great. But he does. He really does. That's right, Tony. Borderline person. And also, it's funny, too, she pulls out her DSM-4 and... Actually, my girlfriend is uh, getting her master's in social work, and so uh, I we just got a copy of DSM-5 lying around the house. Literally no one did a better sort of angry thinking face than James Gandolfini. It's that, I don't know how to describe it, but his face, I mean, what a face. You can read everything that the man's thinking on his face. And this here, too, is sort of one of the the most important scenes in Tony and Melfi's entire relationship, right? This is sort of the... The real first major time that Tony just absolutely, totally loses his fucking cool. Um, and then, of course, informs the entire rest of their relationship is why, you know, a lot of people always sort of complain that Tony and Melfi never actually sort of consummated whatever sort of relationship they had. And it's like, well, they couldn't. It's And that's not what it was about either, which is my guess would... Actually, I know what David Chase thinks, but... Um, Looks pretty good, Artie. Shout out, cool Artie. No one's cooler than Artie Buko. Who would burn down a perfectly good restaurant? I, we've I've skipped that we've skipped that episode together, but that line is so funny when he's when Tony is like Artie. You just gotta you gotta like move on, brother. Like these things happen. Artie just who would burn down a perfectly good restaurant? And Tony gets that sort of thousand yard stare um, because of course he's the one who would burn down a restaurant Shout out, Catherine Narducci, a queen, Charmaine Bucco. Charmaine, there's no such thing as the mafia, okay? <laughs> it's already, certain certain kind of patronage creates a buzz, which, ironically, Frank Pellegrini would, will tell you. You literally cannot get a table at Rayo's because it's a mob hangout. This father in Cantola, this schnorra, all he does with his his little gift cards. What a pain in the ass.
Right, and, and he's and he's wearing Jackie April's watch. Forgot about that. And it's so twisted because Carmela's looking, and Carmela's jealous, right? Because of the uh, relationship that uh, that she's developed with the priest. But it's so twisted. And there is our friend Jimmy with a nice rat stuffed in his mouth. Only weird thing there, I'm pretty sure that bullet wound was, uh... That exit wound would have been on the top of his head, but... Also, I have no idea. I'm not a ballistics expert. I was... I was talking, um over it but that's one of my my favorite lines tony's favorite lines you know the fbi is at, at, you know trying to get him to listen to the tape recordings of he's like i already got the springsteen box set and also if it, if it isn't clear by now that frank pellegrin is is this man here who's talking to tony if i just hadn't made that clear yet And and I think this is an interesting tension too, that does um, that does you know play out throughout the series. This notion of how the Italian FBI agents um, just hate Tony more than anybody else because of you know what this culture represents, and that's also very accurate actually to to how Giuliani was, who of course before he turned into a human troll doll and was just losing his mind while calling reporters. Um, you know, Giuliani made his bones by prosecuting the commission case, which was sort of the most uh, famous sort of mob case up until that moment in time where Giuliani, through the first time to actually implement RICO, uh, was able to charge the bosses of all five families. There's actually... Uh, Netflix just came out with a documentary about it called Fear City, though... In my opinion, that was pretty poorly done, um, and the the actual the best documentary on it is actually called uh, "Inside the American Mob," and it's like a five or six part series that usually pops on Netflix every couple months. So check that out. I think it's all on YouTube though. Um, but you know, Giuliani talked about that a lot too. How that was sort of a big motivating factor for him in charging these bosses was because. You know, he felt it gave Italians a, a bad name. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm also talking over uh, arguably the most important moment in this entire first season, which is Tony actually hearing the recordings of Junior and, and Livia sort of more or less talking out uh, his hit on him. Talk about a rough, uh, rough Mother's Day. Because next time you got to pick out a card for your mom, thinking about the fact that she tried to have you whacked out. Not great.
And it's, uh, I mean, Nancy Marchand too here is like why she's the queen, right? Is this, she does this incredible balancing act where I don't even, I don't even know how to totally articulate it, but it's, she's so calculating. And, and once you've seen the show, you know, once you've, you're rewatching it, you know, right, that in this, in this moment, you can see behind her eyes how she's thinking all of this through of, of how she's sort of totally playing Arthur. And that's what makes her so sinister. Man, Artie, one of the most, secretly one of the most tragic characters on the show, just even though I think he's cool, Artie, uh, especially once his uh, earring mode is activated, um, he really is just brutal, just absolutely brutalized by everybody around him. He's like, it's like, Artie, how, how are you the only one who didn't end up in the mob? How's, how dumb are you? Well, again, I mean, I should say that that's good for Artie, that <laughs> from a moral perspective, he, uh, he certainly made the best choices out of anyone. However, as a character, it's like, come on, Artie. You really wanted to get pushed around your entire life? You also, he could have blazed a whole new career path. He could have been the first mafia uh, professional chef. I don't think they've ever had one of those. It's like, Livia, come on now. Come on now. Stop stirring up all this trouble. She knows exactly what she's doing. Come on now. <laughs> Just Artie. Come. Artie, don't listen to her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. It's a great line. It's a great sort of throwaway line that I'd totally forgotten about. Just still, that's over the top. Don't do that. Also, I don't know if it's just because of, like, the tech was old of how they're recording it or what, but his, I love how sort of soft, like, Tony's voice gets much sort of deeper and harder as the series goes on. It's 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 much um it's much softer. It's so funny too cuz this is like this whole sequence of tuck of taking out Chucky Senor is uh is again so different from uh from anything else in the show normally, because it literally is just a badass uh, sequence. I love that tiger tattoo so much. So great. It's just the per of the. Of course, it's the tattoo that he would have. And again, maybe I. I don't think I'm wrong, but I'm almost positive that that's literally not. Gandolfini's tattoo like that is a tattoo they specifically did for the show you know what? I'll, I'll, I'm gonna look that up right now because that's what I've always thought um, 
Yeah, the tattoo on the finger is actually James Gandolfini. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it was literally, it's just for the show, which is such a great little detail. Um, it rocks because it's exactly what, uh, Tony would have as a tattoo. Damn. It, it, you can really see it in this scene in the tank top, but Gandolfini is svelte. Look at him. Looks like a million bucks. He's got a nice head of hair, too. It go, just goes to show you that the crown weighs heavy. I mean, because it utterly destroys him. Mikey grab bag Paul Meesey. Such a great <laughs> nickname. Gotta love Carmela as the supportive mob wife. Her husband's just talking about killing like four different people, and she's like, "It's okay, Tony. You'll figure out. You'll figure it out." Absolutely incredible uh, fit on Tony's part with his Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, and then this is so funny because it's like, I don't think at any other point in the series they ever do a scene like this. Just with the the music starts bumping, Tony literally pulls a gun out of a fish. It's great, though. I'm, I'm so happy we have it. And then this is, uh, I think this is the first time in the series we see Tony put on a little little captain's hat. Unless he puts on the JFK hat before before this, but I don't think he does. I can't remember. Someone can tell me I'm wrong. Wow, just nothing like it. Nothing else. Nothing like taking to to some open water on a boat with my boy and the guy we just whacked. Tony, he's just sitting there in the waiting room. Now, hold on. Now, let's not jump to conclusions. What? And also, too, it's like David Chase always talked about how he loved, like, the Three Stooges and stuff like that, or, uh, and, and slapstick and sort of broad comedy were always influences that he and the writer's room tried to keep in mind as they were writing. And I think that's such a great example of that just now, of Melfi and Tony shouting back and forth through the door and her sort of saying, what? You know, this miscommunication and such a, you know, if you take a step back in such a very tense, um, tense moment right it's like he, he more or less assaulted her last time so she's terrified and yet they still find a way to very organically because that that would happen in real life too where he's just trying to talk her down to just open the door and she couldn't hear him so it's just a it's a beautiful human it's a very human moment 
Um, and, and that's what this show really excels at. I also love Melfi trying to hide the, the knife in her in her sleeve. This is also a, a proud tradition of Tony talking about how he thinks about banging his neighbor. Shout out uh, Jeannie Cusimano. Phenomenal line. Got bigger things to talk about than Jeannie Cusimano's ass. And then, I mean, just phenomenal. Missing that one fellow by name, Booty. Pussy. Man, what? I would give anything to be able to write dialogue like The Sopranos Writer's Room. Just brilliant. They never had an off day. Well, I guess the Christopher Columbus Parade episode wasn't their finest hour, but more or less... Never had an off day. <clears throat> that that line too. Her patients aren't gonna feel any better about their lives if she gets whacked out. I love too, cause it's like you know, to, to Tony, this is all very normal. This is him just handling his normal business, and of course, too, Melfi's. He's not stupid and understands that what Tony's saying is he's going to kill the other people first, and then it'll be fine and she can come back. <laughs> it is so funny, too, that, uh, like, Analyze This came out right around this time, but... Because that's pretty much the premise of, of that movie, but... I believe David Chase had actually already written the pilot um, before that had come out. This is, to me, it's funny because I love the Artie holding the gun on Tony as sort of like a reaction meme on the internet. This shot right here, that close-up or, or uh, medium shot of him. Um, but... Uh, that's one of, uh, and it's so funny too, because Tony thinks it's like Junior got to him. Um, but it's like, no, it's your evil mother got to him. And in a way, this is one of the most important and iconic scenes in the series as well. And I think too, a lot of what David Chase has talked about of, of this first season in particular is that you know, when The Sopranos first came on TV, it was not it was not The Sopranos yet. It was not a given that people would connect to it and, and get it and understand what they were going for. And so there was a very real possibility that they would only get to do one season, which in a way is why this first season is sort of very self-contained. It's sort of like a novel. Um, and and so this feels like a... a um, 
a confrontation and a scene that they wanted to make sure that they had in this first season in case they didn't get a chance to expand on it. I love this too. Tony Tony gets out of this by acknowledging what an idiotic plan it was to blow up uh, Vesuvio. So, Artie, it's okay. Just enjoy the new place. It doesn't ruin everything. Also, so funny to imagine Artie firing that rifle, completely missing Tony by, like, five feet and getting blown back into his car. And this is... And in a way, too, this is sort of key to, you know, people... Is like Tony, Tony, all of Tony's success and skill as a as a you know, throughout his life and, and, and sort of an essential trait of his is his ability to lie and be really good at it. Um, and and so that moment there is, you know, where we all know obviously that Tony's lying, but that that is why Tony is Tony. That's his great skill. Also Come on, Artie. Just destroys his own gun and car. Awful. Also, it's worth noting that a lot of camera moves like that never happen again after this first season. That, uh, like, that weird zoom in on the house. Um, they sort of move away from that um, in uh, on other sort of establishing uh, shots in later seasons. But, I mean, it makes sense that they would try sort of all these different um, stylistic flourishes. Like, they do a couple times, they do the weird freeze frames a couple times. Um, And what a what an insane sort of concept too, just having family dinner with two people who you know, who you know from their own words, uh, tried to have you killed. And and I guess right here, this is in a way, this is the scene that that you pitched the series on, right? Is it was originally it was about like a mobster in therapy, and so that's why it opens and, and the first episode opens with Tony in her office and is so uses that sort of framing device of of Melfi, but this is the real crux of the show. Which again, as I said earlier, as we know, is if one family doesn't kill him, the other one will, and and that is n never better sort of um, presented than uh, than in this scene right here. I like Tony's polo shirt too.
We all hate life, Artie. That's the point. Yeah, Artie, do not... Do not mess with Tony. Come on. Come on now. Keep Charmaine out of it, Artie. No good will come of that. Trust me. Just enjoy Nuvo Vesuvio. I also love, too, the implication, right, that Father Incantola wants him to be strong because he likes eating at his restaurant. I've always liked Chrissy's tracksuit there, too. Beautiful tracksuit. Oh, God, I forgot, I forgot about this scene, too. Another key scene to the entire series. And it is funny, too, that this is such an issue, and, and obviously all the reasons why it, it, it poses a potential problem makes sense. But it is funny because, obviously, one of the most famous uh, American mobsters in history was Vincent Gigante, who was the chin. And he spent every moment that he was outside of his apartment pretending to be mentally challenged, um, and no one had a problem with it, so... It is funny that uh, that these guys would be like, "Well, it's a little. It's not great that the skips uh, seeing the psychiatrist, but uh, you know, whatever you got to do." It's so funny. It's like you you would think that Tony just told them he's terminal cancer. And good on Polly about speaking up. Uh, yeah, and Polly can't judge because he was seeing a psychiatrist too. This is it's funny too because this is like the beautiful moment that like there's a, this scene right here is sort of the reason why uh, like everyone on the internet loves The Sopranos. It's not like the mob stuff. It's not just like weird sort of Gandolfini worship. It's it's just the boys talking about their feelings and supporting each other in the back of the pork store. That's what brings the people together. Phenomenal look back and forth. Chris, you're not even made yet. Don't act like a weirdo. Come on, Chrissy, you're his blood. So funny, the whole thing with the with the priest and Carmela and Rosalie batting, battling over his affections with food is just hysterical. Much respect to Carm for just dumping that shit, too. 
much, much respect. That's a statement, and you have to respect it. Oh, and here we go. Yeah, I forgot the Adriana. This is sort of the the introduction of Adriana uh, proper. Meanwhile, Artie is just a bundle of rage. I love it. Yeah, Artie, Artie does the right thing, too. Because he was going to tell Charmaine, but it's like, no. Artie, you got to learn to live and let live, brother. Oh my goodness, at that robe. Holy cow. Tony has some great robes throughout the series, but this one takes the cake. Chucky ain't calling, Mikey, and soon you won't be either. I love it. Just Mikey grab that going for a nice fall jog. It's a phenomenal windbreaker he's got on. Just real. I mean, like the clothes always stay good, but the windbreakers in these first two seasons are just phenomenal. <laughs> so ominous. It's literally like uh, Paulie's car is like the shark in Jaws. He realizes, too. Come on, Chrissy. The tactical tracksuits that Chrissy and Polly have on during this, like the matching tracksuits, is delusional. I don't think I'd noticed that before, that they were matching. Come on, Mikey. Run. Run, Forrest, run. Oh. Oh, come on, Mikey. You, you got to know better than this. Also, I love uh, Polly just... Hit, hit some branches and he's just convinced that he just had uh, poison ivy. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. Yeah, between killing Christopher's friend and potentially exposing Polly to poison ivy, Mikey Palmisi was not coming back. 
He also, he got a very Sonny Corleone-esque uh, death. That's sort of the most, uh... oh no, no, big pussy getting taken out. But I was going to say, that's one of the more extravagant uh, deaths. I love how they shoot this too. They do the Michael Myers, sort of John Carpenter for the feds uh, banging on everybody's door. So good. All, all the guys just, oh, fuck. Joseph Beppe. I don't think Joseph Beppe Sasso ever makes a... Uh makes another appearance on the show, but that's a great sort of throwaway mob name. Hysterical. I love that too, because every single time that there's an organized crime bust, the feds love it because they get to come out and say, this represents, you know, the most crippling blow. And yet, as, as Tony so... Um, eloquently uh, displays for us with a nice smirk we all know for a fact that, that that's usually not the case that's <laughs> one of the funniest uh, that's also one of the best Gandolfini reactions in the series too Just, oh lucky him the kid, and the kid waving in the background is perfect too woman's just crying on camera about her husband disappearing and the kids just waving in the background like an idiot. I, I really do love how openly Tony talks to Carmelo about this stuff and how before their marriage becomes truly strained in, in later seasons, how Tony does, in a way, like trust her and use her as a sounding board. And he really does listen to her advice. And, and in many ways, it's sort of the opposite of... of um... Yeah, yeah, if they flip. That's right, Tony is um, the opposite of the end of the first Godfather, right, when Michael's like, hey, never ask me about my business. Um, and it's here, you have Tony literally sitting at the kitchen table and talking as openly as one can with, uh, with Carm. And that's beautiful. That's, you know what? When you can talk about your wife, to your wife, uh, about all your various schemes and scams, and, uh, and how you got to worry about how your coworkers could flip on you to the FBI... That's a good marriage. This is great, too, because he really puts Father and Cantola in his place. Because he didn't take... Artie didn't take his advice, but also it's like, Father, keep out of it and just keep weirdly hitting on everybody's wives. Keep your nose out of Nuva Vesuvia's uh, business. It's the bottom line here.
I love this too. This this whole interview with Junior is phenomenal. Because this really sort of is the last time that Junior is in any way, um, you know, in a seat of power. Even even if Tony was using him as a lightning rod for this purpose to begin with, you know, this is really sort of the beginning of the end of Junior, even starting as early as next season, of where he's more or less um, just like trapped in his house on house arrest. It's also a great line that gets a nice callback later in the series of Junior's lifelong desire to have sex with Angie Dickinson. And it's funny, too, because this FBI agent right, is perfectly describing um, the, what Junior was as boss. But Junior literally refuses to hear that because, you know, then that invalidates his entire life, essentially. Um, and he, the man's got too much pride to do that. Good for you, Junior. Not in this life. <laughs> Let me schlep that, yeah, the whole thing of the priest with, uh, Using all the Yiddish terms cracks me up. I also love, too, how he's just rifling through their fridge. What a pain in the ass. Just, oh yeah, father, really? I love it. Carmelo's ready to rip his face off. It was over video. The the priest just always trying to drink booze and uh, watch DVDs. What an insane racket he's got going. <laughs> what a line! Doesn't give a flying fuck. Yeah, that's right. Put him put put this schnorr in his place, Carmella. I hate Renee Zellweger. Epic. The 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 priest is Father Incantola is just every reply guy on Twitter. Just I thought you liked movies.
ethered. Just ethers them. So funny too, and, and, and this is such a interesting relationship and, and resolution because it's literally a a romantic breakup, except nothing romantic's happened, and it's between the wife of our lead character and a priest. And she perfectly nails him to the wall, too. Just absolutely body-bagged. Father Phil just got it. Almost just got put in a body bag as badly as uh, Mikey Paul Nisi. Holy moly. And this too, I mean, this is one of my, this is one of the best scenes in the series, Tony, without even breaking stride, grabbing the pillow. A stroke? Yeah, he's like, a stroke? That, that smile is so good, that Gandolfini smile is just... 10 out of 10. And this is an Emmy-winning moment right here, too, in my opinion. George Clooney! Ethered. So great how she just has that shit-eating grin on her face as her only son is just threatening to murder her. Yeah, there, and there you go. There's that weird slow-mo, which they thankfully moved away from. It's a very late 90s stylistic TV choice. Yeah, an, an iconic, iconic smile by the late, great Nancy Marchand. And here, too, I think this moment is sort of what I'm talking about in the sense of this finale was made with the sort of intention that this could be it, right? So there's, there's a lot of threads left hanging, um, like Melfi actually leaving town, as Tony suggested, and his mother still being alive and stuff like that. However, in a way, it's sort of like, if this was it, if, they, if the series ended here... Um, then it would still be a a remarkable uh, a remarkable piece of TV. I love this dude. He's just driving in the rain. 
And it's important, too, that I think the series opens, right, with Tony alone in Mel waiting to go into Melfi's office, and the season ends with the family all together, um, which it's a small thing, but, but it is important. And, of course, um, they end up in, in front of Vesuvio. And, and this is sort of this beautiful sort of poetic uh, ending. Can't turn Tony away. Come on, Artie. And this is beautiful too. And 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 I really I love this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the series. You have Polly covered in anti-poison ivy stuff and Sill. Adriana's there. Chrissy. It's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful ending scene, and, um, and, and yeah, I think, you know, this, uh, this, this really would have been a, one of the greatest single seasons of TV ever, um, if, if it ended with this, but obviously very, very thankful and, and happy that we got as many episodes as we did, and, and as many seasons as we did, but. What a what an ending, what a season of TV. <laughs> I lo I love and this is why Sills the best. He's like You saw a psychiatrist Paula, you maniac. Well, nobody, no one's asking, Polly. Just mind your own business. It's epic. An insane, an insane setup. He's gonna be the boss now. They're doing better. It's a beautiful thing. Food and family. Huh? <laughs> it's a freak. And it's funny too, because this in a way mirrors the toast that Tony made earlier in the season where he named Junior the boss. And this is, you know, his own christening amongst his family, but also his friends in, in, in the mob. Um, but but it's true, and, and this scene, I think, is a memory that goes unspoken of that, that 
you always have to keep in mind that the that these characters have in the back of their head as the series progresses. Bona fortuna, huh? Good for you, Tom. What a what a phenomenal piece of TV. And that um Ladies and germs is uh, the the season one finale of The Sopranos. I dream of Jeannie Cusimano, um, and so anyway, this is uh, going to be me signing off uh, for the time being. Thank you for all these past months of of listening and, and keeping up with these commentaries. I've had a lot of fun doing them, and thank you to all past, um, present, and future guests. Um, and, uh, and once again, rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman and, and my deepest condolences and sympathies to his family. So until next time, thank you for, for hanging out in, uh, in Nick's Movie Corner.